want you to know you are good and holy people. We just had a time change, and you're here at 9 a.m. Quite impressive. Very good. This is, uh, it's one of those things. I'm, I'm anti-daylight savings time. Don't tell anybody who's a farmer, but um, it's just for days like this, honestly. It's days like this. Well, today we are continuing our series, The Giving Experiment, and my hypothesis today is something I want you to test on your own is that managed money decreases your stress. Managed money decreases stress. And I think I can prove it rather easily because I know people and I've counseled people. And here's the proof. Mismanaged money increases your stress. And I've seen that time and time again. In fact, it is the number one stressor in life. It's the number one stressor in life. It's the number one stressor in marriages. It's the number one reason that companies uh, get sued. It's the number one reason that churches have scandals. There's other reasons churches have scandals too, but money's a big part of it. And, And I already know I'm right because I've watched time and time again mismanaged money being the number one stress in people's lives, including in Christians' lives. So drop the mic, I'm done, we can go home. Of course, it's never that easy. It's never that easy. Um, You've probably all heard that Jesus talked about money more than any other subject, and that's completely not true. It's not true at all. Um, It's not even close to true. He did talk about money in 11 of his 39 parables, but in many of those parables, Jesus was using money to illustrate a different topic than money, a different topic than money. For example, Jesus tells a story about the payment of vineyard workers, but he isn't teaching about good business practice. He's illustrating uh, that those who enter into God's kingdom do so by sheer grace, whether they come at the first hour or they don't start until the very last hour, and they all get the same grace, the same gift, and that's the point. The example is money, but the point is God's grace. However, this doesn't get us off the hook from having our financial life submitted to the lordship of Christ. He cares about it greatly. How we handle money is important for people of faith, especially for North American Christians who struggle with cultural idols like materialism, and individualism. The Bible thinks, and Jesus thinks, money is a spiritual issue. To be clear, you cannot go home early today because I have to get into the scripture. And so I want to turn to Luke 19, a parable you've heard before, but I want to read it in the ESV version and pretend like you're hearing it for the first time. As they heard these things, Jesus proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem, because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. And the first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant. 
because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you put my why didn't you put my money in the bank and at the at my coming I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the 10 minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. This is God's word? <laughs> Woo, it just got real in here. Um, slaughter these traitors and I want to watch. That's how the parable ends. By the way, Jesus isn't prescribing this. He's just made up a story and that's exactly what rich noblemen were like. You better be loyal to me and my rule, and you better be loyal with my stuff. It'd be like if I told a story about a Wookiee and Han Solo, and you thought, this guy's loony. He thinks he's a space cowboy, and he believes in Bigfoot. No, 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 I'm just trying to make billions of dollars by telling a story. But unfortunately, George Lucas beat me to it. The point is, it's just a story that illustrates a main point. See, rich noblemen have high expectations for their stuff. And Jesus' point is, God does too. You're his investment. Everything about you, your faith, your family, your things. It's God's stuff and he cares about it. He doesn't want you to bury it in the sand. He doesn't want you to put it in a handkerchief and just hide it away. He wants you to invest it to be responsible with it. And the most common thing that God says about money is that he wants you to be generous with it, to be generous with it. So what are the barriers that keep us from being generous? A big one is how you view your money. Are you an owner or a manager? In this parable, it's obvious that the nobleman is the owner, and that the servants are his managers. I think another barrier for a lot of us in terms of being generous is debt. And the key to eliminating debt, get this, is to spend less than you make. Quite obvious. Seems very hard to do for many people. The key is not to make more because if you make more and you spend more, you're still in debt. Maybe more debt. The, the German root word for debt is the same as the word for guilt. There's a guilt we have when we mismanage our money. But imagine if we could do this without guilt. Imagine having financial peace. 
That's what Dave Ramsey calls his course, Financial Peace University, which we periodically offer here at Messiah because we care that you're able to manage your money because we know it's going to decrease your stress. There's financial peace when you take care of your money instead of it ruling over you. You eliminate these debts that weigh you down, and you finally have the freedom to spend and save and give like you intended. It's why budgeting is so critical. So if you want to save 20%, is that actually happening? And if you want to give 10%, what the Bible calls a tithe, is that actually happening? And then you can live on the rest. From his course, Dave Ramsey has this quote, Earning a lot of money is not the key to prosperity. How you handle it is. The capitalized phrase, in God we trust, first appeared on a two-cent piece in 1864, but it became our national motto in 1956. In God we trust. It's the national motto, but I wonder how many people really believe it. God claims in the book of Job that everything under heaven belongs to him. God says that paycheck that you got on Friday, that's mine. That investment you lost, that's also mine. But because I'm a generous father, I entrust it to you. I think that's the irony. We say in God we trust, but really it's God saying, I trust you. I put my trust in you to take care of your family Yes, but also to be a light in the world, in a world that's so filled with darkness so much of the time, but also to support my mission, to find the poor, to help them, to set a table before your enemies, and to build the church. God trusts me. I also have to trust God. When I was in uh, my bachelor's degree, I was Business pre-law. That was the plan. That was the plan that my parents thought was a good plan for me. In fact, I even interned at a law firm, and it didn't take long for me to realize that wasn't for me. But I think up to that point, I always thought that if I go to law school, then I could have some trust in my financial security. Financial security was very, very important. But then one mission trip to Mexico later, and I saw the impact that God's word and our love can have in the world, and my heart was changed. So I chose ministry. And I've discovered over and over that I could trust God. From being a church planner with four young kids to later on becoming a two-income household. And finally, we had college savings plans, and our kids were aged 14 to 21. In fact, in Three years, all of these kids are going to be out of my home. So in a way, I could say, a few months ago, I thought maybe I had the financial, at least security. I thought I had the financial security that I wanted until about six weeks ago. It only takes a doctor's visit to change all your plans. And I know a lot of you know that even better than me. But for us, that doctor's visit changed a lot of plans. A couple weeks ago, I I told you guys that uh, we were unexpectedly (laughs) expecting a baby, which I know it's good news. I know it is, but it's, it's 
good, weird news. It's good, weird news when you're 47. See, my plan was to have our four kids finish college mostly debt-free, retire in 20-ish years, and hopefully have a little left over maybe to travel. And God's plan was a positive pregnancy test. God's plan was to be, for me to be 65 when this kid graduates high school. I went from always being the young dad to suddenly being the old dad. And many of my friends here at Messiah have been making fun of me for that. And so now the reality that I'm facing, that we're facing, is pretty soon we're going to go from two incomes to one with three college-age kids. Luckily, one of them's trying to make it as a stand-up comedian. No tuition there. <laughs> I hope that goes well. <laughs> so I got a little bit of stress. And this topic that managed money decreases stress is suddenly personal. It's personal. It's more relevant that I dig into God's word. It's more relevant for me right now. It was always important, but right now I'm realizing it's important. And that God trusts me, how's my trust with God right now? So we're going through it a little bit right now. And it got a little bit of stress. And then because of all this, because now I'm gonna be the old dad, I went and saw my doctor, and for the first time in my life, he said, you have high blood pressure. And I said, Tell me something I don't know. <laughs> um, and my doctor told me, you know, that stress is a direct correlation with blood pressure. So we're working on that. I started this teaching with the hypothesis that managed money decreases stress. And so I want to do a pressure experiment for you today. And uh, as all of you know, these lighters always work the first time every time. Oh, it did. Man, that's good. And uh, the green water, you might think it's St. Patrick's Day. That's fine. Um, it also could represent money since that's the, the topic we're talking about today. But this is an air pressure experiment. If you're an elementary science teacher, I'm sure you already know this. But um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to trap the oxygen in there and then watch as the candle starts to eat up the oxygen and then eventually, you know what's going to happen. It's going to go out. But watch the bottom of the glass that I put over the candle. This is so exciting. Wouldn't it be so funny if this took like 17 minutes? <laughs> you're like, you're just trying to buy time. So worship is a whole hour. I know you. I know what you're doing. Watch the water. Can you see it? Yeah. It starts to fill up the glass. And then all you have to do is just release it and it goes right back in. Great job, Pastor Jim. Yeah. Yeah. I got lucky. So the burning candle eats up all the available oxygen in the glass and it goes out. And as it does so, the air in the glass cools. And as it cools, the air pressure in the glass falls below atmospheric 
pressure. And so the water is then drawn into the glass until the pressure is equalized. At least that's exactly what I read on the internet, and I hope it's true. Because that's not my job. That's not my job. And you know the internet never lies. Here's the thing. The amount of water in the bowl is the same. You're just changing the pressure around it. The amount is the same. You can have the same amount of money, yet have it do very different things in life. So who's the boss? Who's the boss? Are you managing your money or is it pressuring you? The same amount of money can show you to be a generous person or a very irresponsible person. So yeah, I get it. My plan included a career that would have planned for some amount of financial security, but God had other plans. He invited me to trust him, to become a pastor, and now he's inviting me to trust him again. New financial reality, new baby. And if that wasn't enough, I got another phone call. It was at the beginning of last week, and it's why I wasn't here last Sunday because I was in Houston, and I found out that my youngest cousin, who's only 34, pretty newly married, uh, had died. And he had struggled for years with bipolar disorder, and it was tragic. And to me, he was just a kid because he was still in middle school when my first kid was born. In fact, I was... I was in middle school when he was born, so I really didn't even get to see him growing up so much. He was just always baby Eric, and he had the sweetest soul. And so that week, his mom and dad and his young wife, they're asking me to come lead the service because they don't know what to do. So I booked a flight to Houston and got there immediately. And the question is, when a death is so tragic, what do you do? What do you say? How do you bring comfort into a crowded room with so much grief? I grew up with his older brother. What do I say when I look him in the eye and I'm speaking at the funeral? Also, I had high school friends show up because we all went to the same high school. What do I say to them? But here's the thing I knew when the funeral started. I was exactly where I needed to be. That God chose me for times like that. And that God chose me to be a pastor for Messiah, but also to be a pastor for my family and friends when they need me. And it's been both in the good times and the bad times that I've discovered over and over again that I can trust God with my career, my mission that he, that he puts me on. I can trust him with my family. And then I can trust him with my finances. So how dare I get up in front of my family and claim that God could be trusted with someone's eternity. But not trust God in my heart, financially. Because that eternal message was so needed in that room. 
And it is the very reason that time and again, I've tried to say yes to God, whatever it is. So how could I share those amazing, beautiful, salvation-filled words and not put even more of my trust in God in all areas of life? My cousin was a golf pro. He loved superhero movies. Like I said, to me, he was still just a kid. And so everyone was asked to either wear a golf shirt or a superhero shirt. So I, I wore this one. In fact, this is exactly what I wore. I don't know about the underwear, but I wore the boots and <laughs> the sports coat. And, 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 I, and I wore this, which is the most underdressed I think I've been for a funeral. But, um, but I'm wearing it today because it reminds me of him. And it reminds me of why I do what I do. Or why the church is here. Why the mission of Jesus Christ matters so much. Because sometimes when there's nothing to say, we just need God's promises. We just need God's promises. So despite all the challenges and all the stress and all the pressure that I feel right now, and you might be feeling right now, um, it's a reminder that the most important things in life are eternal things, and God has so much to say to that, and then also to every area of life. I shared this quote from Tony Stark, uh, since my, husband, my, my cousin loved superhero movies, I shared this quote um, from Iron Man. He says, it's not about how much we lost, it's about how much we have left. And everybody at the funeral afterwards wanted to know, where did I get that quote? And I said, it's not from the Bible. <laughs> it's from a superhero movie. Um, it's from his favorite movie. And it's also true. As Christians, we know that through the cross of Jesus Christ, we have been given the gift of forgiveness. Forgiveness of our sins and how beautiful that is. We prayed that at the beginning of service today. Just so that nobody would sit here with all their guilt and shame and not know that God is on their side. No, God did everything he could do, including sending his only son for you. And despite all the baggage and all the doubt and all the fear and all the worry that all of us have had, we proclaim that forgiveness over you so that your heart is right and so that you're ready to worship and so you can receive that all that God wants to give you, especially eternal life. Jesus took on sin and death, so we didn't have to. What a gift that is to each of us. And again, it's why I do what I do. God trusts me. I also have to trust God. This is the last thing I want to say. I think gratitude is so key in trust. Like when I'm at my best, I believe I'm so blessed. So blessed with my wife and my family and the the churches that I've been able to serve, and especially the chance to be here at Messiah, so blessed. And on some days, I have to remind myself a bit more. I actually took a spiritual retreat once, and what I did is uh, my, my spiritual advisor told me that I needed to keep a gratitude journal, a reminder that despite my stress, that God is blessing me. So I did that. Every day, throughout the day, I just keep a gratitude journal of, some, of things that I'm just so happy about that make me feel blessed. 
And then just looking through that later on, I realized, you know, it's so important to count our blessings. So if you're struggling with keeping a budget or if you're struggling to really trust God with your finances, if you, if you want to start being a generous giver, maybe start with that. Take a look at your finances. Make sure that you're managing them and they're not pressuring you. But then also count your blessings. I'm going to call the band up. And again, these are the, the three things that we're, that we're asking you to experiment with. Number one, take the 90-day tithing challenge. This is a chance for you and your family to talk and to pray and to give 10% of your income. This is something that my family has been doing for years in times where we didn't have much financial security and times where we thought we did. Number two, fill out a pledge card. That'll help us for budgeting upcoming and letting us know where your hearts are. And then number three, we have Jubilee Sunday coming up in two weeks. If you've never been to Jubilee Sunday at Messiah, it is the high point of the year for us. You are invited. We would love to have you be a part of that. And so bring your Jubilee gift. That's a special once-a-year offering that you can give to your church. God bless you. God bless you. I'm going to invite you to stand as we sing.